The Clean Collective, empowering community through sustainability. No action is too small. The Clean Collective gives thanks and respect to the Bunjalung people, traditional owners of the land upon which the following conversation was recorded. And off we go for episode four of The Ripple Effect. Episode number four is with Kiralee Lowcock. Kiralee and I sat down for a chat earlier this year along the shores of the river in Brunswick Heads, just north of Byron, and it was an absolutely delightful afternoon. We sat there munching chips and sipping tea, listening to children playing and swimming nearby in the river. The sun was shining, the birds were chirping. I mean, isn't Australia just like a complete joke? How, I mean, if you were to describe heaven, paradise, utopia, you describe Australia, and that's definitely the surroundings that Kiralee and I enjoyed for this conversation, which was kind of lucky, I think. I mean, for me, it certainly was, because the conversation that we had was anything but lighthearted. Uh, I hope Kiralee doesn't mind me saying this, but I actually found this conversation really, really challenging in a way, because it was about certain topics that, well, look, what we discussed was primarily Indigenous rights and women's rights. Kiralee has started an organisation called Indigenous Doulas. And if you don't know what a doula is, well, you're about to find out. And don't feel bad if you don't, because I certainly didn't until sitting down to talk to Kiralee. But I found this conversation challenging because as a white man, there's certain cultural topics, or I suppose marginalized communities is that how i refer listen to me i've like i i refer to subjects with so much trepidation because i'm the last person to have an opinion on these things and seemingly it is my forebears who have engineered a lot of the challenges that these communities have faced in the past and continue to face today so as a white man there's certain subjects that are really loaded to talk about because it's uncomfortable, but I can't really dance around the fact that I've been born into the most privileged combination of race, gender, socioeconomics, whatever you want to call it. As a white male living in Australia, life's about as easy as it gets for anyone on the entire planet. And so that was in the back of my mind talking to Kiralee because she's so impassioned. She's so knowledgeable. She's so spiritually powerful. Kiralee was an amazing person to share space with. And I think the best character trait that I benefited from the most was Kiralee's patience in teaching me so much stuff that I didn't know in such a short amount of time. So hopefully you learn something from this discussion because I still think back to it. And I've actually listen back to this one because, look, truth be told, I find listening to my own voice completely intolerable, and hopefully you don't because, I mean, you've clicked play on this uh, to listen to these conversations that I've been having. I find it really hard to listen to myself, but I learned so much in this conversation that I didn't want to forget that I've made a point of referring back to it. I hope you enjoy this chat because I still feel so fortunate for having had the opportunity to learn directly from Kiralee about Indigenous Doulas, the organisation that she started to start to bridge the cultural gap between 
I guess, Western medicine and the interference with traditional birthing. I mean, human beings have been giving birth for hundreds of thousands of years. And you think about walking into the maternity ward of any given hospital and how normal, in inverted commas, all of the beeping, all of the white and minty green colors and all of the uniforms and all of the drugs and all of the other stuff that goes along with a modern contemporary medical facility but all that stuff is brand new chronologically it's all happened in the blink of an eye so suddenly a lot of basically all of the tradition of giving birth of producing life has just evaporated from the 21st century so I hope you learned something from this conversation and I will take this opportunity to say thank you again to Kiralee for giving me the time of day to have this chat and I really, really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. So what have you been doing the last five years? <laughs> Travelling. Oh really? Yeah. Where have you been? Um, well, I started in Arnhem Land. Okay, cool. I was there for... Hey? I don't know. Um, sorry, I was... I was yeah, I went and helped out on an Aboriginal um, tour. Mm-hmm. It was an Aboriginal owned and operated um, tour they have up there called Lirui tours. So we would take people out on country to different communities and we would teach them, um, no, sorry, I wouldn't teach them. <laughs> I would help set up swags and tents and stuff like that and yeah, cook right. for them. Um, the people from the community, the families, they would, um, they would, they would, they would do whatever they felt like doing at the time because it wasn't about them like altering their lifestyle to accommodate for a tourist and like performing for them kind of thing. It was more like if now's the time for fishing, we're going to go fishing, and you will come, you can come fishing with us, and you right. can experience that with us. Yeah. And if now is the time for this, and that, that's why I really liked it because it wasn't altered at all. It wasn't then that um, culture had to become a performative thing for the gaze of the tourist who comes, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's all for them. It was like this is our life, and you can kind of come in and join us yeah, yeah, for a yeah. little bit. Um, which was cool because, it, yeah, I mean, I just think it was a really good way to do it. And they partner with different families. So, like, if there's sorry business because somebody has passed away or something and people are gone then for that funeral for a few weeks, it meant um, nothing was disrupted because they, they were connected to different family groups. So then they could go out to a different family group and do the tour, you know, on their country yeah. and with that family instead. And so yeah, it wasn't yeah. really... Disrupted, and because it was a young owned and operated thing, and they had different families all involved, um, the, the the resources and everything, and the profits were all spread throughout the different families in the community. Yeah, and the specific family doesn't really have any bearing on the experience. It's the fact that you're getting exposure to a community, not not a family or not a one business. family. Yeah, I mean that's the way it was. It was running at the time I was there. I don't know what it's like now, but yeah, it was really amazing. How long did you do that for? A few months. Wow. Yeah. That's psycho. I'm so jealous. I've never been out to Arnhem there. I've never been into the interior. I just can't wait to get there. Yeah, this is is Yukala. It's a place called Yukala. It's near Gove. That's the the nearest airport. They have a big mine there in Gove. Okay. Okay, That's why there's an airport. Right. Um, Yep. So it was out there, northeast Arnhem Land. Yeah, so then, a few months there, and then what? Then I went um, to. Then I had a one-way ticket to Nepal. I remember wow. it was three hundred baht one-way ticket to Nepal. Wait, what year? Were you there? Twenty fourteen. No, no, no. no. Uh, I 
was there. That's baller. One way ticket to anywhere is baller, let alone somewhere like Nepal. <laughs> That's sick. Well, I knew I wouldn't stay in Nepal, but like, I want. I knew I wanted to go to India, yeah. and the cheapest way was to go to Nepal first. Okay. And I was like, great, I can go hiking, and I can do like stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I did that. I think I was. I don't remember how. Maybe a month in Nepal. No, it must have been a bit more. And then I went to India. Mm-hmm. Um, was this all just like travel for the sake of? I don't mean this in like a pejorative way, but indulgence. Or was that we actually like on a bit of a mission? Did, was it stuff you specifically wanted to to see or do, or were you just travelling? Uh, I think I was on a bit of a soul mission. Yeah. Cool. Right. Like because it was never. It wasn't super hedonistic. Like it wasn't like. Um, Kentucky or no it wasn't like you know it was cheap travel but um yeah it would it was confusing for me because I was kind of sometimes I'd be like why why am I doing this and why can't I stop Mm. (laughs) but uh it's because I was looking for something right and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but I was I was looking for something so um and I think that's like looking for the place you belong um a place a person, a group, a community, a life that isn't the one you're currently in. Yeah. You know, yep. you're looking for this. So, yeah, I went to your, uh, I went to India to do a yoga teacher training um, in Rishikesh, which is kind of super. Um, Look at your smile! Holy shit! There must be some memories. I'm there. laughing at myself because it's really like a typical. <laughs> no, that's doing a yoga retreat in 20. 15 is significantly more credibility than doing it in 2019 I reckon. Is that what you're getting no, at? Is that like it's a very it's fashionable not. thing to do now? Anytime. Nah, it's 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 <laughs> Or is that just a disgusting Sydney attitude to have? But I feel like like No, some of those... doing it in 2014 is no different to doing it now. Like if you look at the, the scheme of thing when yoga came into the West and it was like getting big in like the 30s, you know? Yeah, okay. So not it's, it wasn't so it's, but it's one wild of those, or anything. Right. It's like, but it's one of those things that's so trendy now to do yoga or to like... And I'm yeah. not like, this is getting dangerously... I'm not bad-mouthing yoga at all. I, I, I don't do it like religiously yeah. myself, but I appreciate it. I think it's an amazing thing for mindfulness. But it seems to have like gone down this weird path that a lot of things do when they find the mainstream that suddenly the action... It's, it's a bit hard to decipher who's doing it genuinely and who's on the bandwagon and who's actually sort of... Actually, this is just such... That's such a gross thing to say, isn't it? Because, like, regardless, it's a good thing or people are getting... There's no yeah. negatives coming out of practising yoga, whether you're doing it from a really deep yogic place within you or whether you're doing it because yeah. your mates do this class twice a week and you mm. want to fit in. There's no bad result from that, but there's, there's like... You know what I mean? Like, there's some things that just seem to be yeah. bastardised by modern culture a little bit. They are, and I think you can say that of like a lot of cultural things too. Yeah, yeah there's yoga. surfboards it's out like there, there's another lots, one. It's for a lot of things, but um, I, I think with the yoga thing, it's like no matter which way people go into it, even if they're going there for weight loss or they're going for, um, I don't know, because it's trendy and they want to wear the clothes or like whatever, it's just a doorway into something else. And yeah. something deeper and it, it doesn't really matter how people find a, a doorway into their inner lives that's how it, it's just a doorway and they yeah. will go deeper yeah or they will feel like it's not for them and it won't be for them I mean with yoga I feel like there, there's there is like 
cultural appropriation, which happens in yoga in the West too, it has um, been changed and like modernized. It is very different over there. And then even the way that people in India are, are doing things with yoga retreats is different because all these Western people are coming and bringing their money and doing stuff. It's yeah. changing it there. Yeah. It's changed here. Um, but... I don't know. I get, everyone's individual experience with it is so different. That's it. And there's just a million different ways to experience yeah, it. Yeah, because it's like, I don't know, I've, I've heard things that some people like, um, being some somebody who's like an Indian woman and she goes into a yoga class in Sydney and she feels ostracized within her own culture. You know, maybe she yoga is something she... Because she Lorna Jane or something. Yeah, yeah like maybe yeah. yoga is something she grew up with at home and then she goes into this different environment and all of a sudden she's on the outer but it's her culture. Like, now that would feel really weird. Yeah. You know, so I, there's, there's some f funny things with it, I think, but... Um, it's one of those things that, by and large, the world would be a much better place. I think people respect and, and check in with themselves and stuff like that about... Yeah. What, what what they're doing and what they're engaging with and why they're doing it. Yeah. I like that turn of phrase, check in with themselves. Because that's like, yeah. I guess that's any mindfulness space is somewhere where you check in with yourself and you're just honest with yourself about your feelings, your past, present, future, whatever. But yeah, that seems like a harder and harder thing for people to do, check in with themselves. Yeah, and I think... I, I suppose having access to the entire world's information in a small tablet in your pocket doesn't help. It doesn't because then you've got all the opinions and stuff. People start to feel like they can't do anything right, and there's you know they they're like microanalyzing themselves all the time, especially because all the self-help stuff is all out there too. And then you have like um, there's so many ways that you can analyze yourself now, but maybe not even really understanding. The, thing, the, the tools of which you are analysing yourself with. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. little sound bites of things or little memes and then you're like <laughs> psychoanalyzing yourself from this point of view and forgetting that you're a multifaceted human being who's never going to, you know, you cannot be, yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense to, you got so, you're so multifaceted that it doesn't make a lot of sense to compare yourself or any of your facets with anyone else's because we're all so vastly different that like that's only going to be a fairly destructive thing or it's going to like yeah. basically prevent you from really listening to yourself or checking in accurately. Yeah. Or like one of the things I find interesting especially lately is like people talking about white privilege, white saviors and things like that and we're checking in with yourself with this and there's some people doing amazing work out there now like um, Leila Afsad she has a book called Me and White Supremacy and it's mm -hmm. a workbook for people to check in with themselves really about that kind of thing and I know it's really difficult for some people to look at that within themselves their white privilege and, and to see this side of themselves and it's like I actually feel like you are stronger when you can address your white privilege and when you where you can say um, yeah, these th this is where I have had um, where, where I have been conditioned by racist views because the society is racist, and yeah. it's not like you on a soul level are a racist person, but you have been brought up and conditioned and brainwashed in a way to think in certain ways because that's the society and that's the structure of the society that you've been brought up in. And I feel like if you can look at yourself and say, "Yeah, I I, I have benefited from white privilege. I have." Um, 
I, I have in the past, or I, and I do whatever hold racist views if I've grown up as, as a white person. I feel like it makes you stronger because then you can kind of relax a bit and be a bit more vulnerable and be like, yeah, I, I, I fuck up and I yeah. don't know everything. And yeah, I, yeah. and this is where I'm like, um, I don't know. I just, I just, it, 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 it brings, it, it, it's, it's humility and it brings you down a level and then you're like, yeah. It just cuts the tension, eh? Because like, otherwise, if you don't do that... It's your responsibility. Yeah. Really. It's like the res- responsibility of everyone, I think, to look at themselves and then be like... And, and I'm saying this as an Aboriginal woman who has fairer skin. So I, I, I am an Aboriginal woman and I also have benefited from white privilege. And it's like having those words and that way to like look at it, for me, myself, I feel like I've been able to go... Okay, like... Um, you get to do that beautiful thing, which is hold two conflicting perspectives through your own experience. Yeah, and through your own identity, and you can be like, ah, it makes more sense to me now. It's just like the world made more sense to me now when we started talking like this, and yeah. you could see where where things do coexist, and that it's it's it, everything isn't just black and white. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, che- checking in with yourself and saying, okay, this is the way the system is set up and this is the way I've been conditioned to experience things and this is how, why I think the way I do, that this is also, you know, I, I don't know if this is making sense. No, it is. It's really, and it's fascinating to hear because I can, I'm in the camp of basically like the most white privilege you could ever possibly ask for. Like I haven't really investigated my heritage too deeply, but I know mm. it's 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 UK based, mm-hmm. you know, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah. But like I'm I'm aware that I've you know, single white male heterosexual whatever, like it's I've got I'm the least marginalized person in the entire fucking world. And so like yeah. I, I sort of I wrestle with that on so many levels and a big one of them is shame of just like yes. fuck man like I, I didn't choose any of that, but like I'm aware that I'm basically the devil in in current social circles, and it, it's a it's a really hard thing to navigate, particularly yeah. when like to redress that balance often comes loaded with a lot of like unintentional offence. So like if I like for example Indigenous culture, like mm. it it resonates with me at such a deep level, but I'm aware that like if I was to embrace it too wholeheartedly or too too forcefully or to to anything mm. that would be insensitive that would be like an offensive thing to, to to truly indigenous people despite it's coming from a place of love and respect for me like it'd be i'm aware that that's like it's just it's like this well it's that's so the blurry. difference between like appropriation and appreciation right and i think well what is that difference well for me the difference is that if you are uh if you are appreciating a culture, like the power of that culture and that, that experience is staying in the hands of the, of the people whose culture it is. Yeah. And I think you're appropriating it when you personally are benefiting right. from that culture and the other people are still oppressed, marginalized. Um, I, I, like, like in Indigenous Australia, for example, if you have a group of people who can't even practice their culture because a... Um, they've been dispossessed of their land. They, um, they, they, they've had that knowledge. They've had their language. They've had everything taken from them. And then on top of that, you're also dealing with a lot of trauma, intergenerational trauma, things like that. So 
you, you, so a lot of people are just trying to survive and let alone being able to practice their culture and then you know if you so, so you have this and then if you have somebody who is who's been brought up with with white male privilege who isn't indigenous for example and then you, you were um i don't know uh making profit doing selling boomerangs or something like right. that you know and it's yeah, like the people yeah. whose culture this is they can't even do it and yet you are profiting profiting yeah and but that that's the thing is where like practicing something that's not yours and it, this is the colonial mindset of taking too in which yeah, people okay. don't check in with and question is this mine to take and is this a taking uh, you know and are you listening yeah to like who's who yeah yeah it's a, it's an interesting line as well because profit that word it doesn't necessarily mean money no it's a thing like you, you can virtue signal you can spiritually which profit is. from something too and that's yeah. a, it's a big thing with this because i feel like people often especially in like new age and spiritual circles are often trying to um they are appropriating other people's culture to fulfill a spiritual need that they have right but everybody has indigenous heritage you know when you go back to your own culture like in europe there there are indigenous cultures yeah you know that were there the pagan cultures and in 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 scandinavia and things like everybody has uh, a root with a culture that was nature-based yeah and that had different philosophies and this sort of industrialized um capitalism model thing that we've got going on now yeah. there are there are there are roots of your own that you can connect with um and you follow that that path, you know, further and further back, and you, you end up with with one tribe, one culture that we've sort of all stemmed from. If you want to go down like an evolutionary biology perspective, which is sort of conflicting to a lot of yeah, spiritual doctrines, but for me, it's a beautiful thing because it, it, it like mm. it it just evaporates all of the boundaries socially that we have you know in, interculturally because it's all come from the same place and that's being a human being like yeah 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 but then the thing i think um when we talk about like oneness and stuff like that which it's, uh, yeah is i mean when we talk about oneness and stuff something we i think we have to be careful too that we don't minimize people's um lived experiences in the reality so for example like if you're um a white male it's much easier to sit there and say like we are all one and something like that and uh, even if lots of different cultures and religions say that that is the truth in your lived everyday experience like if you're a white man it's easier to get to it's easier to 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 get to that conclusion i think yeah then if you're a man who is black for example and has experienced racism all his life how much harder is it hit for him to be like yeah we are we're all one like but my lived reality has been that I have not been treated equally yep. ever. So, yep. you know, it's like yeah, to it's claim like the oneness spiritual is almost and the material. That. It's like yeah, otherwise it's spiritually bypassing people's lived experiences and their yep. culture and their history and and things like that. And I think like on the privilege part too, I I don't. It's 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 about not taking it personally in a way. It's like mm. on the one hand, you you are looking at yourself personally and seeing like where you have benefited from things so that you can also understand your place in the whole system because I do think you have to change yourself if you want to change things but it's also realizing that it's bigger than just you 
and it's and it's beyond just you and this isn't just for for us now this is for the next generations to come you know and and, and that's why we have to look at ourselves and, and and act for the next generations yeah mm. yeah the one thing you just said as well that just ticked uh, it, like it triggered a thought that i had in the surf yesterday um, about intergenerational pain and mm. inter intergenerational is it epigenetics is that the word for it where it's sort of I don't know maybe that's just a, a nice European word for something that Europeans don't maybe experience to the extent of other cultures but like being bored like carrying the pain of your forefathers forward with you into your current life yeah and I had, had this thought that with, with indigenous marginalization in particular in this country I, it just triggered yesterday that it, it's coming from two angles where you have people in indigenous culture who are carrying 50, 60, 70,000 years of culture with them into their current life and are suffering very recent colonialism mm -hmm. 300 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's, it's, like a, it's like a feedback cycle there of pain. And then on the other side, for example, like where I am, it's almost like a feedback cycle of indifference where you've been born into the colonialists I suppose, mm -hmm. and and taking forward their heritage of not giving a fuck, and so it's like these two things are sort of yeah, and this feel like they're exacerbating one another. Yeah, well, the system has been it's it's like we live in a colonized country, and that that the dominant system and culture that's that's in power is like it stems from that colonial point of view of like. That's you it. Know, Everything's geared to reinforce that indifference. Yeah, and and the way that you learned history at school was was all um, affirming that. Yeah. You know, and that's why it's like it is personal, but it's also it's also bigger than you. You know, and it's not about you on like a soul level, like like you are a bad per. You know, it's it's looking at the bigger context of things and just. And that, that's why I think it makes you more, make, makes you stronger when you can kind of put down your weapon and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And that, that, that means you have to be vulnerable to do that as well. But I think then vulnerability is how you connect with other people. And then that's, I just think, I don't know, I think it's, it's empowering to see the shadowy aspects of yourself and the parts of yourself that, that you probably have some internal shame and guilt and things like that and so when you can can look at that and be vulnerable about it i just think it makes you feel like a whole lot better yeah but it's a short-term pain which i think obstructs people from doing it in the first place it's much easier to just pretend it's not there and jump on tinder or instagram or yeah. chuck netflix on or go and do and something distract, else distract, distract. yeah 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 because yeah. it's not comfortable to have to fess up to yourself that you do have shadows or you've yeah. got stuff and, that you need to admit to yeah and people sometimes don't like political things and they don't like talking political things but like that's just another example of your privilege if you don't have to talk about political things because for other people like say I, i'm a woman number one i'm born in a political body right bit by being a woman yeah and then i'm an aboriginal woman that's another level of politics and it's like for, and then but for other people, it's much more political than it is for me. But I just mean, like, for some people, their experience, like, they can't put down the politics. They can't walk away from it. And if you're able to do that and just be like, no, 
Yeah. That is an like okay, it's a choice, but it's also an example of your privilege because you are at the top of the hierarchy and you don't have to worry about this stuff. Totally, and that explains as well. You just just right then crystallized why like another level of, of where it might become disrespectful to just take up the cause for on behalf of another culture or someone else yeah. is like white that can be perceived yeah they can be perceived as recreational and it's like it is to be able to come and go from that you're dead right isn't a choice yeah. for the people who are really represented by whatever it is it, exactly and there's a website i think it's called goodallyship.com where they talk about what it is to be an ally okay and the number one thing is to take up the cause as your own yeah and that doesn't mean to make it about you, but it means taking up the cause as your own is, is that you are committed to that cause and you won't just drop it when it's not fashionable or it doesn't interest you anymore or uh, you can't be bothered or whatever because for the people who you are in allyship with, it's not an option to drop it because it's their life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think, yeah, it matters. Mm. So... India must have been a pretty, pretty like confronting place to witness a lot of politics, as as you put it, and like a, a lot of this sort of, I don't know, entrenched hierarchies and pretty fucked up social disorder. A little bit, like I yeah, I wouldn't, I I didn't understand it. Right. Like I couldn't even really comment on it because it's just so um, that there's there's so much to it, and I was there for the first time for three months. It's definitely not enough time to understand a place or a culture or, you know, anything really. I just had my limited experience of what I was sort of saw when I was there. Yeah. Um, and then I, but I went back again a couple of years later. Because from, from India, I went to Europe and I was mostly in Europe and then I came back um, and I was there like on and off almost two years. Wow. Um, and then it changed for me because, yeah, I guess the first couple times I was I was there it was a little bit more it felt really transactional and um, and I also felt like I was really only engaging with men because they were them it's the men working in the chai shops and the men are driving the rickshaws and the men own the it, I, it was just a lot of um, more interaction with men than okay. Indian women um, but then uh, I, I eventually ended up being a birth doula in India Oh, really? Is that where it all started? Well, it started uh, in Bali because I did my study with um, a woman called Ibi Robin Lim okay. and Deborah Pascali Bonaro. Um, Robin Lim, she won like CNN Hero of the Year and wow. yeah, she's um, she set up a, a clinic or an organization called Bumi Sehat. Um, 25 years ago or something and they offer um, she, she's a natural birth and a gentle birth advocate and she um, has been doing um, she, she gives free birth to any Indonesian women mm-hmm. and then if there are foreigners living in Bali they would pay for it um, and she also set up when there was the tsunami in Bali she set up an emergency birthing um, space in Achat I think it's called she did it there she set up one in Haiti so she's kind of like on this intersection between human rights emergency relief and birth wow because women are still giving birth in the middle of natural disasters and yeah, things like that um, and then Deborah Pascali Bonaro she um, is the director and she made the film um, Orgasmic Birth so she's very different 
We remember they're both natural birth um, advocates, and so Deborah's was a, was more about um, birth being a pleasurable experience, not necessarily that the end goal of your birth is to have an orgasm, but to make the experience more pleasurable, more orgasmic for the woman. Right. This is fascinating because, like, literally, I'm I'm I'll come right out and admit it. Until like I knew I was going to sit down with you and like read yeah. up on what you've been up to, I had no idea what a doula even was. Yeah. So maybe there's my privilege all over again. Is that that's like a whole thing that I didn't know about? That, that's that's I think that's that's some. Well, a lot of people don't know about it. Well, yeah. So and then also like men have men haven't always had access to the bathroom. Okay. As well, like in, in lots of cultures, men haven't had access to it, and even still in this culture, like unless it's maybe your partner giving birth or something men don't really and sometimes women too but you know men are kind of shut out of their experience so it's quite quite normal that they don't really know yeah that's lot. generous of you to say because i'm i know it's just complete ignorance on my part because <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what it was well, so doula is basically birth partner right yeah you're like a professional birth companion you could say that you're there to physically emotionally spiritually and culturally for me like um uh, pro- provide safety and to be there for them to give that kind of support yeah um and you're also providing continuity of care because uh you are their doula you are their person kind of thing in that in that space so you will see them during the pregnancy and then during the birth and then even after the birth after yeah. that as well um there's there's all types of doulas now I mean there's birth doulas there's postpartum doulas who specifically are offering care to women after they give birth which is really really important um, I often hear it's the support that most that the women most need or maybe it's the second time around like that's the one that they say oh next time I'll do that because it's the first time because often we're giving so much attention to women when they're pregnant and then for the, up until the birth and then all of a sudden after that birth you then have a baby we don't have this tribe around us anymore it's just you and it's often extremely isolating women don't have the support they don't have like like in india when when the women were giving birth they they had their mothers or their mother-in-laws come and stay with them and and they had people providing the meals for them they they some women there there is also um a tradition there where the mother and the baby will be massaged for 40 days after 40 days after you give birth wow. yeah and we don't have anything like that yeah in the culture here um in, in the uh, modern it, it's just insane to like conceive of that idea in contrast with a hospital and what do you got like two days to sort your shit out and then well, off you go like we, we need this room we need... within four hours within four hours yeah compared to 40 days of tr- like oh but that 40 days you're at home that wouldn't be 40 days in a hospital right but mm. but as far as like having a support network around you i think like a lot of maybe i'm wrong about this mm. but a lot of like western women's experience is medical staff yeah and maybe some friends and family but then a lot of it would just evaporate after it's happened and then you go yeah. home and that's sort of it yeah i mean i haven't had a, a child myself i haven't given birth um but yeah what i've seen what i hear from women is that um like we yeah because we don't have this sort of structure built into our culture anymore our society like what what often happens for women is that 
um, especially that first three days after the birth, it's it's can, it's, it's really thrown your whole system out. It's like um, you, you you go through such a huge transformation of your body and your mind and your spirit and everything. Um, and then you find that when when people are I don't know. I guess you've got like this busy productivity-driven culture, so women often feel like you know you give birth and then you've got to be like on it. And, and we we don't really have a culture of rest here, so yeah. like, there's that. Yeah, yeah. And then often I think the ways people want to help are maybe not so helpful. Like, um, say people come over to see you and the baby, and um, and it's a newborn, and they're like, oh, you know, I want cuddles with the baby, but maybe what would be more helpful is if you just walked into ki to the kitchen and did the dishes so that the mom can continue breastfeeding her baby. You know what I mean? And bringing food over, for cooking food and bringing the food over and just bringing it instead of asking, hi, would you like me to? Because mm. it, it, it's harder for them to say yes. And it's much easier to just, just do it. You can, right. They can freeze it or put it in the fridge and just have it there. It's like just just you know don't be invasive but do helpful things you yeah. know and like I don't know that one for me is a really big thing about holding the baby because the best thing for for a baby is really to be with the mother right after you give birth um and it's just a way where we kind of like can be a little dominating if we're like you know the best my part turn. of seeing you with the baby is me holding it's your it. baby in my and hands like, yeah, but the yeah. best thing for, for both of you is is maybe just how could I make the situation e easier for you get her a pillow so that when she's breastfeeding she's more comfortable get her water because often women just forget to, to drink water when they're breastfeeding they're dehydrated things like that yeah, yeah bringing bringing food just seeing if you could just clean the house a little bit if that's okay with them yeah um just to make their day you know it's like supporting the mother so instead practical. of making it about you and the baby totally like support, it's how can you support the mother yeah it's common sense as opposed to selfishness and just wanting new baby smell or whatever that is still haven't yeah. smelled it not really sure and obviously we all love cuddling babies and holding babies it's normal it's natural <laughs> that's it like it's, it's a like, really instinctive thing it's like just you know yeah just sort of asking yourself have, am i being the most helpful i could be could yeah. i could i do something else as well as have a cuddle with the baby yeah, is there something yeah. else i could do as well yeah 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 otherwise yeah otherwise you're just creating and another another lane of energy expenditure for, for someone who's just like well because well, what happens is like you come over thing. and you cuddle the baby and all of a sudden the mum has to get up and make you a cup of tea you know because you've come to visit yeah. and she's just doing more yeah and it's more you're actually making her day could, could be harder, harder yeah because just the, the just the, all the emotional toll it takes just to host somebody and have some somebody there too can be as well you know yeah yeah that intrusion like, on your sanctuary particularly you just, when you've got a brand new yeah, life and, in you're, there with and you. you're still trying to figure out your how everything's working for you too and yeah. you've got to host people like that's yeah, tough yeah. you know um and then also like often women are facing birth trauma and that doesn't just mean like um their their body like naturally having having trauma of birth i mean that it's like the that some women's birth experiences are really traumatic yeah and that can be because of the type of care they're receiving and what happens to them like by um by their care providers it's 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 more that we're talking about okay but um yeah women women are often having traumatic experiences in birth and then afterwards you've got women kind of like lying they're kind of like what the fuck just happened to me yeah um let alone the imprint on a brand new 
human being the imp- in this um, in both of them and and often what what that that trauma does is causing a disconnect between the mother and the baby and what do we need for a really healthy society is for that connection that bond to be really strong yeah and pe- people to feel really safe and um that's i mean for, for like the the reason why I got into to doulering and to this sort of stuff is because I believe that that is a really the the birth experience. It's your first experience on Earth. It's the first time you know you you, 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 you well. It's not really because you're inside the you're you're alive when you're inside the womb. But when when you it's your first big rite of passage and your first huge transition. And at that point, it's like those those innate human things of am I safe? Um, am I loved? Am I safe? Like, I- am I okay? Kind of things. Um, that's your first real imprint of that. Yeah, you're the cleanest you're slate you're inside. ever going to be. Yeah. It's like a connection bottleneck in a way. Like, it's the first opportunity to yeah. set a foundation of And for the mother too, because then on those years when you're growing up with your mother too, you want, obviously we want to have mothers who feel good and feel good about mothering and feel um and feel really connected to their children and who feel connected to themselves like not just as a mother but yeah. as that as that multifaceted being all these other parts of them too you want healthy mothers and you want healthy babies and that's for sure going to impact the generations to come and that for sure has an impact on on the earth as well if you have healthy happy children and mothers yeah absolutely and um, yeah, the, the, there's one saying that peace on earth begins at birth. Peace I, on earth begins at birth. I've never heard that. I yeah, like it. I really believe, really believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, is like worst case scenario is a woman not effect, not receiving effective care during like during her final trimester or even the whole pregnancy, and then a really painful traumatic birthing experience and then the upshot being that whether she acknowledges it or not there's resentment there potentially to her now brand new child for basically causing all of that if it, if it goes wrong mm. and that connection isn't achieved or, or it's like a, the opposite where instead of a connection of love it's a connection of resentment or, or just uh, a disconnection well I, I'm talking more about um so the best kind of care a woman can receive is continuity of care. So that means that when you're pregnant and you're going to see your care provider, it's the same person you're always going to see. So hopefully it's yeah. the same midwife that you would always see and that that midwife is going to be there at the moment of your birth, Yeah. which doesn't always happen in the hospital systems here. Right. But it, all the research, the research has proven that that is by far the, the best type of care someone can receive because obviously then you have a relationship with that person, you have a connection, you have trust, they know your fears, they know um, your health history really well, they know you as a person so when you go, because when you're giving birth you're extremely vulnerable mm-hmm. and um, we are still mammals and we want to feel safe when we give birth. That's like, it's like the number one thing I think mm. is that you, you need to feel safe. And so obviously you want to know the person who's there and providing care for you. So there's that. So often it's broken there, like people aren't getting continuity of care. So you're in this state, you're extremely vulnerable and you have different people, who strangers walking in because uh, the shift work changes and they're going to be there with you at your birth. So that's really disruptive already. Yeah. And that can cause problems in people's birth because if you don't feel safe, 
you're, there's such an intrinsic link between the mind and the body and your emotional state too. Yeah. You know, it, it, that stress is just going to permeate it, straight into the psychology of your child. Well, yeah, and, and your body and the experience you're going to have when you give birth. And then often what happens um, when people are giving birth is that um, the care providers, sometimes the care providers might not be um, giving the woman enough options, giving her a chance to... There's a big thing around consent in birth too, and informed consent. So often women uh, might be told that they need something, but um, that might be might not always be the case or right. something. But they're not always given a choice. And then when you're in that, when you're in the later stages of labour too, where you don't really want to, we don't want women to use their logical mind at that point because you kind of really have to go into that um, to, to, to the back part of your brain the animal part so that you can give birth like you you you, ch you change which parts of your brain you're accessing too so it's like you don't want to have to be snapping out of the birth process to be having to answer logical questions you want to be able to fully surrender and let go and go into that animal parts of yourself so that you can give birth yeah. and um, so it's written to the cons consent can be yeah it's a it's a it's a really big um part of it and a big problem so but say you're a woman giving birth and you feel like um you didn't consent to the things that happened to you um you didn't uh, you didn't know why certain things were happening to you um you didn't and, and maybe you find out later that that certain decisions people made like maybe to make interventions early on because this is what happens too people intervene early on and it makes a cascading ripple effect and there are big problems later but it's because there was inter small interventions along the way yeah. and maybe those interventions didn't really need to happen but if the woman isn't informed and can't make informed consent you know there are problems but you don't we want women to leave the birth feeling empowered yeah like it is the most empowering experience you can have and we want them to feel like they walked out and were like oh my god i did that i can do anything and i feel so um prepared and i went on this huge journey in that birth and i feel like now you know, feel empowered. You don't want them to be there and going, what the hell happened to me? Was that okay? Um, I'm finding out that maybe that wasn't okay. Oh God. Did my yeah, end yeah, up, yeah. I, I wanted to, and this is a big thing, I wanted to say no and I couldn't. Yeah. And, and, and this and is traumatic and that's in a lot of trauma. I wanted to say no, I couldn't oh, say yeah. no. And, and, and you feel voiceless and uh, like, yeah, one of my friends said to me, she's like, I didn't realize what a good girl I was until I gave birth. Right, like how I just said just yes to everything, and there's, there's, oh, there's so much to it. Where women in general were always taught, like, to say yes, to be a nice girl, to be polite, just to say yes to things, just like submissiveness. Yes, submissiveness, and it starts when you're young. So it's like you've been trained like that. So, um, yeah, and 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 when you're in that birth room, you might need to say no, and that's why if you have a doula with you, or if hopefully if you have a midwife who, who knows what you're after, hopefully wouldn't happen but if you have a doula with you they often advocate for you because they know, they know you. what and they know what kind of um, birth that you want to have yeah. too and doulas don't make medical advice don't give medical advice at all but they, they can advocate for you and maybe know a little bit more about your rights when you give birth like it's a human right that every woman can choose where and with whom they give birth and that isn't even always met mm. you know so um, Wow. Yeah. 
it's fascinating stuff. Like I, this is like just brand new territory for me. I've never, I've never ever even like given it a little bit of thought, let alone this much. But it makes so much sense to. I can't, like now, now knowing all of this, I can't even fathom ha- having okay two things. I can't fathom like go, having a partner or like experiencing by proxy a birth without a doula. Now, like that just sounds like the most critical thing when you are going back and forth between different parts of your brain. You need someone there with your best interests and knowledge of who you are backing you you're like in your corner like helping you make decisions and helping you through the whole process yeah and there's lots of things i mean um if if people can't have a doula it's just about having a support person who really um knows you who you trust the trust yeah it's the trusting that's really important and um yeah it's like having someone on your team because for yeah for some people when they give birth in hospital it's like going in, into the battlefield like Fully. Um, and then for some women who maybe want to have a home birth and then who eventually need to be transferred to a hospital for whatever reason, you know, then that can be a really uh, scary experience for them because it's somewhere that they didn't, it's an environment they don't feel safe. That's why they didn't choose it in the first place and they don't necessarily want to, to do that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not saying that medical, uh, like, you know, like doctors are bad and that medical oh, interventions yeah, totally. are bad at all because they save lives when they're needed. But the big thing is when they're needed. Yeah. And sometimes these small interventions that people are doing, yeah, creates these problems. And I just feel like... Um, Sounds like it just gets engineered by a status quo rather than like a per case basis. Well, it's which been industrialised. The whole yeah. birth process has totally been industrialised. And like, I, I mean, th- this country we're living on, this is the oldest continuing culture on earth. Obviously, we knew how to give birth. Yeah. You know? Simple as that. Don't have that much fucking history if you don't know, weren't able. So, our ancestors were midwives. Yeah. We had our own birthing culture. And women, they really have borne the brunt of um, colonization. Mm. It's the the indigenous women have always had had a disconnect not just between them and the land, but but with babies. And the the connection between mother and baby has always been attacked. You know, child removal and oh god, yeah. Um, the stolen generation, baby, like that. That's always been. You Stuff know, they've, they've always just attacked the, the, the women, the, the mothers and babies. Yeah, yeah. In, in that way. Um, the other thing I was going to say just before mm. is that, like, as a man, I've I've, ne- I've not once felt. In fact, not about not only not felt envious of being of giving birth but i've been sort of thankful for not having to go through it yeah. but the way you talk about it i like i feel like you're so right like it's the most literally the most amazing thing you can do as a human being and it's only available to women and like totally. i've not once thought in my entire life until that this moment now that I'm like, oh, like, that's, that's something i can never do like yeah. you're right like yeah and I mean, I think a lot of girls also grow up feeling like that, right? Because it's also a disassociation with you from, from that entry um, into manner. Like when you get your period, mm. girls are often shamed for their period. You know, you're hiding tampons up your sleeve. You're um, not telling anybody that you have them. Like I still remember being in high school, like doing all those things. Like the worst thing ever would be that you get your period on your skirt, and someone might know that you have your period. And this is a symbol of your fertility. And it's being squashed from that very first 
moment, like from the first moment that you sort of cross into that phase of life, it's like yeah. being shamed straight away. And I just remember like going into the toilets at school and like looking at how many stalls there are and being like, one in four must have their period right now, but none of us are talking about it. Yeah, right. And it's I just thought it was really weird. So weird. We're the weirdest animals in we that are we like just animals. repress so many things that none of us have any control over and we all experience. Yeah, like there's the just ways that we shame shame our bodies too and like yeah. disconnect from this sort of like yeah, the more animal parts of ourselves. The male equivalent, or well, maybe not equivalent, because it's I guess it's like a, it's a definitely a shame thing. But uh, like if you're if you're in gym or if you're swimming and you get an erection mm. because you're 50 and you're as full of testosterone as you'll ever fucking be, and you've got no idea how to handle it. Like no one chooses that experience, but yeah. like there's so much shame loaded with it that you just like it's the last thing you could possibly ever want in yeah. high school. And that's also about your fertility, isn't it? Exactly, really? and it's, like, it's not, not something anyone's choosing, and it is something that everyone's going through. But yeah. as like as animals, we've just been like. No, nah, that's gross. That's not very. No, nah, we don't like well, that. All the bodily parts are always like let's let's um, cover that. Let's hide that. Let's like yeah, use deodorant, wash your hair. Like let's cover up all the the messy. Like this is what I think the whole society is like that. Like cover up the messy, cover up the the dirty, the untamed. Like all those those parts of you. Yeah. And that's why I I love the birth realm because in there it's like the most human meets. The highest spiritual it's all there in the in the room yeah for, for yeah for me it is like the it's like i used to go to church sometimes as a child but this is like the holiest place i've ever been is when you're in the birth room because it's like there's a palpable feeling in the air that is completely different this woman is like is is a channel she's bringing in a life yep. you know and, and and she is like the portal between the unseen world and the, and the, the world is now she's she she's at her most heightened um, senses and everything too which is why it's so important that we create a really safe and sacred space for her to be able to go there because like s some people talk about a, a mother has to sort of go to the to the underworld or to the other world to, to retrieve the soul of her child and bring it back with her in the birth room wow. and there's a shoot and, and the mother's also transforming herself into a mother if she isn't one already like she hasn't had children before she's she's also birthing herself as a mother yeah this is a huge moment and we're um sanitizing it and and we're we're, we're disrupting it and we're we're, we're 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 medicating it so that you can't feel that yeah it's like yeah, sanitizing so, the process somehow, and yeah, totally. That's that's like a really weird thing to to conceptualize. Like, I'm, I'm obviously not a doula, and I don't, I haven't been in birth rooms. Mm. I don't know what that what the p perfect setup is to make it the most sacred and spiritually relevant and safe, beautiful place mm. to accommodate this atmosphere that you talk about. That I'm sure, like, I felt like I could feel that just the way you said it. Like, you can. I imagine it just must be the most electric environment to be mm. in as far as like the amount of energy flying around the room whatever that might look like I'm pretty sure having a, a loudly beeping computer with lots of bright lights on it would exactly. be like the most disruptive thing to that atmosphere that it I is. could possibly imagine let alone a room full of them that's all painted white and green and yeah. then people rushing and around strangers coming in yeah people coming in and out like and doing things like maybe they're just gonna do a vaginal exam on you that you haven't asked or consented to yep 
you know, and the people are just going to, and some people, I, I read something once, they, they equated it to like, say you needed to do a poo, and then uh, your partner walks in and just has a check, and like, how you going, you all right with that? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And then your mother walks in and wants to have a look, and then, okay, yeah, you're doing it. And then the doctor comes in with his gloves and then starts prodding around, and you're like, just let my body do its thing. Yeah. And it's like that, but like so much more. Yeah, <laughs> We've been talking yeah. about birth. Yeah, you shouldn't need to be juggling no, self-perception. No, and then imagine on top of that, if um, you're an Aboriginal woman, for, for example, and then you've got people of a different culture who aren't speaking your mother tongue, if you're lucky to know your mother tongue now as an Aboriginal person, um, they... It, there's systemic racism built into the system then you have care providers who have also grown up in a racist system so who might hold maybe covert racist views that maybe they're not even aware of but are, are holding them you're actually more in danger like um, Aboriginal women are dying in either pregnancy birth or the 40 days post birth almost four times more than non-indigenous women Wow. and 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 that's happening now, you know? And so this is how people say genocide is still happening, cultural genocide is still happening, but this is like, that, that's not okay. That, yeah. Having a number like that is not okay. And so that's why now I'm starting this project where we're trying to um, gather a, and grow a community of indigenous doulas who can be there to support indigenous women when they're giving birth. Awesome. Because that's going to disrupt the effects of racism, hopefully, and also intergenerational trauma. Because if you're a woman giving birth in that room and it's full of white people, and you you know the history of your people, you know you know the rates of children still being taken today, you don't feel safe. Yeah. And so to have another Indigenous woman there with you, if you want that, with you in the birth room, to to feel safer, to feel protected, who knows your cultural needs as well. Yeah. Um, I, th I really think that, that that will help disrupt, yeah, what, what All that entrenched racism and also bring that number down. I can't believe that. That's hopefully bring that number down. Wow. So, so how are you establishing that community? From the ground up. Nice. <laughs> yeah, from it's the ground up. We're just, um, I've, I've been in such, I've had a few women come get in touch who, who want to become doulas mm -hmm. um, we're hopefully gonna um, get some trainings organized eventually once once we reach that point um, so that we can because as a as a doula I mean as your it's it's like um, we're reclaiming our space in the birth room yeah really is it uh, um, especially to have indigenous women there at birth especially if women are giving birth in the hospitals and things like that it's it's like reclaiming our space in the birth room. That's that's how I see it, and sort of reclaiming our sovereignty in birth as well. Um, so we're gonna uh, establish some trainings that are gonna be more culturally sensitive and for Indigenous women who want to become doulas to support the communities. Um, and hopefully we're gonna set something up so that it's funded, so that Aboriginal any Aboriginal woman giving birth can have the option to have Indigenous doula with her that is paid for mm. so that the the doula is get is is being paid unless the woman has that as part of her her health care options yep. and yep. so 
Um, What's the current um, accreditation? Is that the right word? How do you how do you get training, or how, how do you how do you become an accredited doula? We would do a doula course, um, but there is no formal like registration, mm-hmm. which is why you know your your sister can essentially be your doula, or your your husband could be your doula, your mother could, might be your doula. Um, but there is no registration for it's which is why i kind of like it because it's a little it's because you're not allowed to do anything medical so you're really there as a support person which Mm. is why i think it's still unregistered but um it means you for, for me personally i feel like i feel like i can really make a big impact as a doula because you are there solely to support somebody's emotional physical spiritual cultural needs Mm. um whereas care providers like they do have i mean if they're in a hospital they've got um the restriction on time and things like that where they they can't spend that time really getting um getting very um emotionally in sync with the woman or something because they only have a certain number of minutes to fill out this and to do that and to do that and so it's really hard for for them i mean i don't think the system works for them either and i don't think a lot of them are happy with how it's working either but as a doula like your sole job is to be there especially emotionally for for the woman giving birth you don't have to use that part of your brain where you're um, doing all these checks and balances and worrying about insurance or um, you know, parts. You're just there Feeling for them, forms, and you're there the boxes, whole time. Yeah. Whether that's forty hours or if it's two hours, you're there that whole time with them, and you don't. You, yeah, you don't go off on a different shift or whatever. You're 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 there for them. You're their person. Yeah, the quality of care would just achieve and, such a crazy level. Of and it helped. And um, yeah, like what I was doing this in this in the birth center in India, and and it was a midwife-led birth center and the midwives and doulas worked really well together because it meant that the midwives could it made their job easier eh? because you're keeping the woman calm yeah she's starting to to panic you know you, you you're finding different ways to help her stay calm and to create that really calm environment um which makes the midwife's job easier which means she you know she like the best kind of midwife i guess is one who doesn't have to do anything yeah you know and the woman can just give birth um, like they say, like in the olden days, midwives used to just sit in the corner and knit, and they would knit because that repetitive action would keep them really calm. And because in that birth room too, like the best thing anybody can do is be calm, because the woman who's giving birth picks up on the adrenaline so of other people yeah. and the stress from other people, and that's going to stop her producing oxytocin. And oxytocin, which is the love hormone, that's what brings on your contractions. So it's love that brings your baby out and you need a really calm, beautiful environment to be able to create the oxytocin you need to give birth. So yeah, some midwives just used to sit and knit in the corner and they, I mean, they're they're amazing, wise knowledge keepers too and they would know the smell of birth and things like that and they know when to do that. But now you have a system that's kind of coming on top of that and it's giving them lots of like... We're restricting them completely, yeah. yeah, and maybe they can't act in the way they would like to even because of this. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, 
like that's like the best thing you can do for basically anyone who, who who's suffering or stressed out is just project calm in their direction rather than elevate yourself and try and bring them down from their level the best thing you can do is just project and so yeah let alone in a birth room yeah, that, where that's just so much more crucial yeah because she's so sensitive too like yeah uh, even like in terms of oxytocin it's like her receptors for oxytocin are, are, are like a hundred times more than what they would usually be so that's so she can um receive that oxytocin so much more than what what anybody else would be but that's going on for other chemicals and other parts as well and like her nervous system will pick up on 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 the other people around her and that yeah. was probably also like as a mammal so that you could stay safe yeah you know because you 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 would sense if there was danger nearby you wouldn't be you know that would yeah, impact your birth and whether you, you could or not but you you you're picking up on everything around you so often i find like in the birth room i would be helping the partner a lot as in, well right in trying to keep keep them calm so that they're yeah, or so that they yes yeah, so the, yeah, so keep them calm because sometimes men can especially uh, mostly I, i've had men as partners and they would feel quite fearful sometimes yeah. um which would be pain. super contagious i imagine yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I think also like, like how we said that men have often been sort of, um, left out of the birth room in different, especially in different cultures and now kind of coming into it a bit more. Um, I think it is a bit more of a newer thing that men are even in, in there mm. if you're the partner. Um, and so they don't really know what to do with themselves. And this is a huge rite of passage for the woman. So it's like the men are kind of like, where is my place in this? And what, how do I, so how where, do I be? Where, how where do I would their place have been in indigenous in the in history, like in indigenous well, culture? Indigenous culture is women's business. It's women's business. So yeah. what what were the men doing during that time? Like, yeah, that would depend on different cultures too, okay. because um, there's so many different Aboriginal nations and cultures, and everybody's everybody's one is different. For for my people, I'm a Barkindji woman, and I don't know because. Um, because my family's history started up in the missions and things like that, I don't have access to a lot of cultural knowledge, mm. and that's a reality for a lot of Aboriginal people. Yeah, I'm sorry. And it's something that um, I've only recently decided to stop apologising for, not knowing my own culture. Yeah. Because I think sometimes you feel like you should know, and uh, and and you wish you knew, and, and people expect you to know. And it's only recently that I'm like. If you read a history book, you'll know why people don't know why it's these been lost. things. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, I mean, stolen. That's, yeah, that's the reason I say sorry is because yeah. I know it was stolen. Like yeah. I know that it wasn't like it wasn't wasn't fucking laziness. It wasn't the fact <laughs> that people stopped writing it down. It was yeah, it yeah. Was stolen. But um, yeah, men today, it's like um, I don't know. I often think you know this is this is a love story. Like when somebody's giving birth, this is a love story of that family and that as a doula I kind of want to be invisible and that maybe I help a little bit um, for the man to find a way to to connect with with his partner um, like sometimes uh, because I, I dance so I do a lot of dancing with the ladies when because movement is like the best thing you can do when you're giving birth you know if you sort of seize it up and, and because you felt pain you seized up makes it so much worse if you sort of move it freely through it which I think it's like 
true for most things. But yeah, yeah, you say it, that, that's why I'm reacting like that because that sounds so Moving common through, sense yeah. to just keep things fluid, keep things. Yeah, if you seize up dynamic. and you get still, it can be, yeah. can be worse. But um, so maybe I would like move with them a bit and, and we find something that works for her and the baby and maybe they're, they're like swinging their hips around or something and I do that with her a little bit and then I would bring him in and then he can take over and then he can hold her and do that with her and then I step away yeah. and just finding um, little yeah little doorways for him to, to be involved and often it helps for couples to even talk about how he, the man wants to be involved and how she would like and because also it changes too so it's it's not like that couple dancing together will be dancing together the whole time. There might be parts of that birth journey where she wants to be alone in the dark, mm. totally alone, mm. and he might just be just outside the door, and he's still holding the space for her, but he's not there, and she knows that she's still safe because there's somebody on the outside, and that she has that container where she can be alone in for yep. that part of her birth. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's 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 finding doorways for them to connect and for this to 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 be a journey for them. But yeah, so if you talk about it beforehand, like um, my teacher was talking about how there was a a guy who he just knew he couldn't really um, be there for the blood or uh, think he just knew himself like that he that wouldn't he couldn't do it. He was going to inject stress into that environment rather than yeah his. whatever it was with him but he just couldn't be there for like um the the, the more messy and very human part of mm. the birthing bit where the baby is actually coming so but he realized that he could be an amazing dj and she was all for that and he was like i'm gonna dj the birth and i'm gonna choose all the all the music and but but they had talked about that and they'd agreed on that and, and she had other support and so they, they felt they both felt really good about that yeah and because he knew the limit his limit and what he could do and then he could really provide that for her within that space of yeah rather said. than let that be a, a reason for total absence or zero contribution exactly to because otherwise you know and it's like you, you want you want men to be feeling good in the birth too especially if they're in the room like they're also um transitioning into fathers and it's you you want them to feel connected to the woman and to the birth and to be part of the story yeah i feel so um you know if you're trying to really overextend yourself into a role that it's not doesn't feel good for you and it's really not going to serve anybody then you know if you're really over yeah you might end up fainting for the blood so you know you're like that and you faint and then you and then all doctors might be rushing to the fainting person and ignoring the, yeah. the woman and she's gonna get stressed and out the whole and atmosphere uh, is just being influenced in a negative way yeah and every couple's different everybody's different so it's like figuring out what what's what's gonna work for you guys and then obviously also being open to it that changing mm. because it always changes in birth it's mm. like never doesn't form, follow a formula as yeah. much as the system would like it to follow a formula yeah, as much and tries as our to go have tried to implement exactly one. it doesn't yeah yeah wow. so how can people support indigenous doors the the project that i'm doing yeah what well, we're on instagram it's um indigenous dot it's a very new thing, so we don't even have a website yet. Um, but they can get in touch on Instagram or um, the email address is there, indigenous.doulas at gmail.com. Mm. Um, if they have resources and things they want to share, we, we, 
we're at, it's like we're at the pregnancy part of the journey. It's like I'm telling people that we're pregnant with this <laughs> concept this and this idea. idea and this project and we're starting. Yeah. Um, and some really beautiful people are kind of um, are, are starting to come in almost like as the care providers of the family and things are being weaved, weaved together. Um, but it's definitely That's part awesome. of it. But we also really want to be sharing um, Indigenous women's stories and experiences in birth or parenting or pregnancy as part of this project because yeah. storytelling is really um, um, healing, A, eh? and also um, I think how we're going to change things yeah. by actually hearing people's stories so they're not just figures and statistics and things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, if there's any Indigenous women listening and they want to share their story um, or their experience or anything, then they can get in touch. Yep. And if you need microphones, you get in touch with me. We'll <laughs> yeah. Right. Cool. Thank right, you. Sweet. Well, let's sign off. That was amazing. Thank you so much for, for telling me about all of that because, like... Thanks for if, chatting. If I, if I just... I don't know. This could have easily just been a day where I spent eight hours in the sea and came in with no new knowledge but for the things that I just fermented in my own brain. So I really appreciate, like, a whole hour of just like a brand new thing for me that's fascinating cool so thank you thank you okay so i don't know if you could pick up on that through listening to the recording of that conversation but there was electricity in the atmosphere while we were having that discussion oh wow i don't know i just like i said at the beginning of this episode i just learned so much from that and thank you again to kiralee for sharing that sort of information which was so shocking and so relevant but so hidden from the mainstream fascinating stuff and definitely food for thought for me like i never ever expected to be jealous of the female ability to give birth you know like as a man i've always grown up thinking geez thank god i don't have to do that and now i'm jealous now i feel a bit ripped off that i'll never have the opportunity so what an about turn for kiralee to have changed my mind that dramatically is a testament to that woman's power Thank you for listening and please join us in a fortnight for my chat with Madison Page, another powerful Indigenous woman with a lot to say about climate change and a mover and a shaker for someone young actually getting out there, starting her own non-profit organisation and really trying to reclaim territory in this social divide between Indigenous and colonial culture in Australia. Look out for that one. Please like, comment, subscribe, share. I don't know, just jump up on your roof and yell out, Oi, everyone, listen to The Ripple Effect. It's the latest, best podcast, and I'm really enjoying it. Obviously, if that's true. In fact, please do that even if it's not true, because that would just be amazing. I mean, if I heard someone yelling from a rooftop nearby me, I'd probably actually go and listen. So, you know, if you want to do that, all of us at The Clean Collective would really, really appreciate it. Anyway, I'll chat to you soon.